Being in a corner is a powerful tool because you, there's only one way out. And if you utilize it to your advantage, it can be very, very successful. Uh, and so that's what we did. Welcome into Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview investors and entrepreneurs who tell us about their life, the ins and outs of their industries, and the different ways that they have found success. Jahoon, so great to have you on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. How is it up there in North Carolina? Right now, it's a little jury, but I like it out here. It's nice and quiet. Yeah, I've been here for a couple of years now. I live most of my life here, actually, so, so I like it. Tell me about Dendi. What is Dendi? We're a software company. So our mission is to provide software infrastructure for clinical labs across the U.S. How did you come up with this idea? It was really an intentional idea. It wasn't like an accident that we found this idea. A couple of years ago, we were doing some consulting work with various healthcare systems and labs and whatnot. I was out in the Bay Area as a software engineer working for a startup. And then I had opportunities to do some consulting work there. And then through that opportunity, I found other opportunities in the clinical lab space. And then I realized that there was a huge demand for software infrastructure in this space because, you know, healthcare is pretty backwards when it comes to technology. But this was one niche in healthcare in particular that was really underserved. And so I saw the opportunity there and wanted to serve that opportunity. There's a really often quoted statistic in the space where we say 70% of all medical decisions are made using lab results. And so when so many decisions are made using and lab results, I thought it was really important that this field not be underserved. What were your first steps to fulfill this opportunity that you identified within the medical field? We started with a lot of consulting work and just really understanding the market, really understanding the players in the market, really understanding like what are the actual needs of the market? Because you can think it's quite common actually in technology. There's a phrase that we use where we say when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so, you know, when you have a technology hammer, you get this tendency or this desire to start nailing down certain things that you think are technological flaws. But that's not really what the world wants. The world wants better solutions. The world wants better infrastructure and doesn't have to be technology. And so we did a lot of market research to figure out what was it exactly and where in the exact value chain that there was demand for an updated system or updated product or solution. And so that's where we started. At that time, were you still part of the startup and were you working kind of two jobs simultaneously? Or did you end your time with the startup to go start this new venture? Yeah, at that time, yes, I was still working at the startup uh, in the Bay Area. It was one of those things where I kind of started really light, a couple hours a week, just reading a lot of books, articles, and meeting people in the space. It's interesting because I kind of at first started telling people that I was a healthcare IT consultant. And really, the former part was not true. It was really the IT part that I knew. I didn't really know healthcare at all. It turned out that people didn't really care that much because there was so much demand in the IT side of things that it didn't really matter a whole lot on whether or not I knew a lot about the healthcare side of things. As time went on, we just got more and more involved. And then if Eventually, we transitioned into full-time, you know, quit my startup job and then transitioned into this full-time. When did you know that it was time to quit your startup job and focus exclusively on this new startup idea? Honestly, I didn't really have an idea of when it was going to work out or not. It was more like I set an arbitrary deadline for myself. I said after September 2018, I told myself I was going to quit no matter what and then figure it out because my time at that startup had come to an end anyway, naturally. And I was looking for some bigger challenge anyway at the same time. And so it's kind of a theme in my career so far because like at the end of the day you don't ever have enough information to make a decision properly you have to make do with incomplete information most of the time if you wait until you have complete information it's usually too late and so i just said you know what i'm going to quit my job by september 2018 and then i don't really care what happens afterwards but i'm going to figure it out and i have to trust myself that i'll figure it out even if i don't have all the information in front of me you just left your startup and now you're consulting for the medical field along with your it consulting what do you do next what's the next jump in your business's steps 
to where it is now? Yeah, so the way to make money, the way to be successful, right, is to really make a product. And my background is in software. So the startup that I worked at was a fintech company doing machine learning analysis using a whole bunch of various data sources to keep it simple. But essentially, there is really a huge power to having a product rather than being a consultant. And so I was looking for opportunities to build product in the space. And so I was doing a lot of consulting work just to figure out what the opportunities were. And I wanted to find essentially the most upstream opportunity we could find to build a product. Upstream meaning like in healthcare, a lot of systems are interconnected and there are some systems that are more interconnected than others. And there are some systems that are downstream of other products. But when you're downstream of other products, you don't have any control or say in, in how your business works really. Because if you know the downstream product has to connect to all these upstream products, then, then it becomes really difficult to run a real successful business. So I was like, what is the most upstream product that we can get in this space, in this clinical diagnostic space, the healthcare space that we're in? And then we kind of thought about, okay, what if you create an operating system for the market that we're in? What does that look like? And so we started kind of exploring what that meant. Like, what is an operating system and what does it entail? How do we create this from scratch with no background in the space? And so that was what we spent basically a few months doing. And so initially to figure out how to do it, because, you know, we were just being consultants, right? I moved back out of California, uh, moved back to North Carolina, and then essentially started hitting up prospective clients, local clients in the area. And then we told them, hey, if you allow us to basically shadow you guys, we will build the software for free for you. And a couple of them took us up on that offer. And then we went from there. What was that like to shadow? Like, what does it mean to shadow someone? Yeah, honestly, it was not very well defined. I basically sent out feeler emails, just like cold emails, cold calls to like 30 or 40 different businesses in the area, local businesses in the area. And then basically got emails back from like one of them because like nobody knew who I was, nobody cared who I was, and I didn't have any experience in the space. So why would anyone care, right? And so one business that we worked with reached back out again and said, hey, the CEO of that business said, hey, we'd love to you know sit with you and talk about what you're trying to do. And it turns out that she was a professor of entrepreneurship as well. So she was interested in seeing what I was trying to do in addition to running a lab. And then basically took that opportunity and said, hey, I want to build software infrastructure for you. So let us come into your lab and shadow you. And then let's see where this goes and we'll build your product. I don't know when exactly, but we'll do it for you. And if you let us do it. And so she said, yeah. And then from there, I went to you know the same labs again that ignored me. And this time I was a little more aggressive. I said, instead of calling them or emailing them, that didn't work. I just showed up at the lab. One time when I showed up to the lab, there was a security guard and the security person was like, who are you here to see? And I remember I was like, oh, I'm here to see like Victor. I just like made up a name. I'm here to see Victor. And I saw it on LinkedIn. And then the person's like, yeah, Victor hasn't worked here for six months. You need to leave. That was really embarrassing. But it was really funny because like at that moment, one of the managers was walking by and she's like, can I help you? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Like definitely. Like, I'm trying to build you know, software for your clinical lab and build infrastructure for you. I just came here because, you know, just thought I'd say hi. And she's like, oh, come to my office. That was our second customer. What a great story. That's so funny. Yeah. It's funny because it feels so old school in terms of like, yeah, just go in there, tell them your name and give them a firm handshake. It never works, right? In my case, that was the only option I had. So I had to do it. And because nobody else does that in today's age, it seems to be a little more effective because of that. The first time you got to shadow someone was with the CEO who was a professor of entrepreneurship. What was that first run through of building the software like? Was it successful? How did that lab react to it? What was that like? We were still relative amateurs at doing this. And it's funny because that was only a few years ago. That was like literally 2019 when we started doing this. And so like, (laughs) it's not that long ago when we started doing this, but we were like total amateurs back then, especially in the lab space because we had no experience in it whatsoever. And so we'd come in and then we would essentially try to learn everything about what they were doing in the workflow level, as well as any complaints that they had about the current process that they had going on. And then we spent a lot of time together and then she started giving me business advice too. And we started getting close to the people in that lab. And yeah, it was a very interesting process. We basically went back pretty much once a week or something like that. And then we would just come out of that meeting with notes, go back and try to code up whatever they wanted. Then go back again the next week and iterate quickly because the powerful part about being kind of in a corner, because like we were in a corner and I quit my job. It was my 
my co-founder and I, both of us quit our jobs. We had nothing else going on. This is the only thing we had going on. That kind of being in a corner is a powerful tool because you, there's only one way out. And if you utilize it to your advantage, it can be very, very successful. Uh, and so that's what we did. And just iterate week in, week out like that. After getting those first two, did you just keep repeating that process and kind of branching back out or going to the labs and trying to push your luck there? How did you find more customers after that second one? Yeah, so it was interesting because 2019 we started and then essentially we just worked all the way through 2019 trying to build the product because the product, you know, it's an operating system for labs. And so it's an inherently extremely complicated endeavor. It was more complicated than any other software project that I worked on before just because we didn't understand the domain super, super well. And so we spent probably about 80% of our time working on understanding the domain space, like understanding what the labs wanted. And then the 20% of the time actually building it because I think a lot of times what people tend to do is spend 80% of the time building it and yeah. then 20% of the time listening. Whereas mm -hmm. like we tried really hard to listen. And even back then, I don't think we listened enough. Even back then, like if like thinking about how we do things now, like we did not listen enough. Like we would listen, but like have our own opinions, but not exactly like understand deeply, deeply like why certain things were a certain way. I just don't think we had the experience that to, to be able to do that. But yeah, so to answer your question, our goal was to really take this experience from these two labs and then try to do something by the end of 2020. That was our initial goal because it was going to take us a year and a half to do it. It was so complicated because there's the two of us and that was our entire thing, right? Yeah. But then I think it was about October or November of 2019. We actually got a deal signed, like a pretty lucrative deal signed with another local business, another local lab. It was really exciting because the lab basically was a really large business and then they want to take a leap of faith on us, have us build out what they wanted in, in a software platform. Wow. The idea with that was like this large entity was going to invest in us and give us money and do all these things to help us grow. And then we're going to take that and then try to use that to kind of scale and jumpstart, you know, the actual commercial side of our business. Because you can't really call yourself a real software business and you have three customers. Yeah. You're just basically like a part-time employee at these three businesses. You're not really your own business owner. And so <laughs> that was our goal. But then, and again, by the way, this contract that we signed in November of 2019 was supposed to be like a year long contract to build out certain features for them before we go yeah. live. But then in, a couple months later, in, around March or April of 2020, that business tanked due to COVID. Because oh, wow. initially when COVID happened, all these healthcare systems actually went belly up for a little bit because nobody was going mm -hmm. to clinics. Nobody were, was going to hospitals. Nobody was going to labs. And then of course, when COVID really started picking up, then this deluge of business came into clinical lab because people had to get tested for COVID somehow. Yeah. By that point though, the lab that we had signed the contract with had actually canceled our contract with us. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they kind of did a rug pull and then we were forced because we we're like, okay, what do we do now? Our biggest contract just rug pulled us. We had hired two people based mm -hmm. off of that contract and we had just gotten an office space, gotten all this stuff, made all these plans to make it work and now they're rug pulling us. We have no revenue basically comparatively, right? It wasn't zero, but it was pretty close to it. And so we we're like, what do we do now? And so basically we're in a corner and I remember like we had many meetings during that time. We we're like, okay, what's our next move? And so we decided actually just to say, you know what? I don't really care if you don't have a complete solution. Solution. Let's just go live and tell people that we're live and see where we go. And I have no clue what's going to happen, but we need to get something out there to survive during COVID. And so we just went live with whatever we had at that point in time. And then it was weird because our fourth customer actually was a random cold email from a business in New Orleans out of all places. We'd never met the person, never heard of the person. And that person emailed us and said, hey, I heard about you guys through somebody. We never revealed who it was exactly. I want to buy your product. And at that point, we were like, holy crap, like what? Like how did this person find us? Who is this person? And yada, yada. And is this person real? New Orleans, that's weird. And then so people started hearing about us and that we had something that was able to be implemented and set up quickly during the COVID time. Because again, you know, most young folks are used to everything being on mobile and cloud first, but that wasn't the case in 2020 during COVID. A lot of the healthcare systems are not cloud-based or they're just 
just now transitioning to be web-based or whatever, right? And so we were one of the only ones that were web-based natively at that time. And so people started hitting us up out of the blue randomly. And then we started getting traction that way. After the lab in New Orleans coming in, like asking you to use your product, did you have to do anything in terms of marketing or were people just like chomping at the bits to get to Dendi? It was weird because for most businesses, I would say distribution is more important than the product a lot of times because you need to be able to sell the product and distribute the product before, you know, if you can't do that, then you can't build a product, right? For us, it was a little bit weird. I think it was uh, a little bit of luck just because there were so few alternatives in the market that we couldn't fulfill the need fast enough. At that point, we weren't expecting to go commercial until the end of that year. And so it was just one of those things we forced our hand on purpose to do it to survive. So yeah, basically when we started getting people hitting us up out of thin air, we consultants would hit us up, lab business owners would hit us up. We essentially had to just like, I was, you know, all hands on deck. Everybody was coding. Everybody was trying to build product. Every single day I was coding. Every single day everybody else was coding or doing something technical to get it done. And so we didn't do any marketing at all or sales at all, really, outside of talking to people and getting contracts signed, right? Which isn't really that. Isn't I don't really call that sales. But outside of that, we didn't do any of that stuff for a while. The entire time you were bootstrapped, right? What was that like? Being bootstrapped was really, really helpful for us because it made us really appreciate the value of money, so to speak. As you can tell by now that the forcing functions are a big part of my life. And sometimes like when you have the right forcing function as like an incentive mechanism, it really makes you creative. It makes you really creative with what you like trying to squeeze every drop of the lemon you can get from it. Especially nowadays, like um, maybe not today particularly, but like in 2020 and 2021, there was just so much excess money being thrown at tech and anything tech related that we saw all these crazy people just spending crazy amounts of money on crazy things. And I definitely had some kind of um, cognitive dissonance. I'd say like, wow, these people are wasting a lot of money. But you know, fundamentally, business has not changed as a process in hundreds of years, right? Fundamentally, you make profit, right? You get revenues of costs and so having more of a humble start i think really grounded us and made us because like we learned a ton i mean we made tons of mistakes as a team i made a ton of mistakes as a co-founder and ceo so really grounded us and myself so i would recommend it i recommend it for a first-time founder for sure what made you guys raise money this august the thing that we really were concerned about was number one the interest rate environment and so you know the economy is tied intricately to the interest rates that we have right the federal reserve sets interest rates and you know determines whether or not money flows into the economy or goes out of the economy that was really concerning to me because the Fed deciding to raise interest rates was a better pill that we had to swallow as an economy. But also I knew that that would cool the venture funding landscape quite a bit. And number two, we were kind of coming off of a pretty successful year. And so we knew that we wanted more leverage. Leverage is the big key word. I talk about leverage a lot because especially because when we were bootstrapped, we had no leverage at all. Like $10, $20 eating out was, you know, business meal was expensive, things like that. Right. So we had no leverage and without any leverage, people don't get excited about what you're doing as a mission. And so we want to increase our leverage, increase our exposure, increase basically our competitiveness in the field. And so the only way to do that is by hiring better people and increasing your throughput. The only way to do that is by raising capital. What would you say were the biggest challenges so far within Dendi? I would say the biggest challenges so far, it's really a lot of it's growing pains because none of us have any experience doing this before. And as a first time founder, I really have no clue what I'm doing most of the time, honestly. And I try to be thoughtful and I try to be really, really intentional with everything that I do. But sometimes you just got to learn by experience. I do read a lot of books. I talk to a lot of people, you know, mentors. One thing that I really, really care a lot about is not making the same mistake somebody else has made. We literally have, you know, thousands of years of history to kind of refer back to, right? For example, one of the lessons we learned was like, you know, this is something that I 
probably say now is that you might have heard of this like phrase called first principles thinking. Like you want to think from scratch, like, is this the best decision that I can make? And that's really common in technology to say first principles thinking. I think it was influenced by Elon Musk. I say it's overrated. When you have decisions that you want to make, ask somebody else what they've done, especially when it comes to things that are not particularly important to your business. Just figure out what somebody else did. Google it, research it, and then do that. Think about that first before you think about it from scratch, because most of the time you can draw from literature and research to figure out like, oh, somebody else has already ran into this problem. Let me figure out what they did. Try to optimize using that. I think too many tech folks tend to get really analytical with it, like over analytical with it and try to optimize things. And I'm like, the number one thing you need to optimize is customer experience and whether you're solving for a problem that somebody else has. We call that product market fit. Anything else outside of that is rather immaterial. If you can figure out somebody's pain point, you figure out that somebody has a pain point that you can solve and get paid for it. Everything else like HR, finance, legal, that kind of stuff should fall into play most of the time, as long as you don't make egregious mistakes. Going along with that, what's one piece of advice that you would give your audience based on experiences that you've had? I would definitely say that advice, it's kind of meta here talking about advice. My advice is that you need to be really careful about who you take advice from. Like for example, I'm not the best person to take advice regarding like, I don't know, fashion or like something like that, right? I'm not the best person to take advice regarding, you know, like music taste, right? We tend to like ascribe importance based off of like what that person's social status is and how competent they are and basically assign credibility to everything they say. A lot of times you need to look at like people that have been in your shoes exactly, people that are like more of your peers than like people that are maybe a little bit out of touch with certain things that are going on in your life. Because like I've taken advice from people that I've thought were like extremely, extremely successful, friends and mentors that I have, right? Their advice is not always good advice because they have a very different experience than I've had. And so I felt like I got a lot more out of asking peers that are like one step ahead of me or two steps ahead of me what they've seen just because it's more topical to me. What are some books or podcasts that you would recommend to, or other resources that you would recommend to learn more about business and entrepreneurship? For me, I like to read a lot of biographies, but that's not a personal thing. I like biographies because a lot of times the people that the most successful, you know, entrepreneurs and founders and people in business, you know, titans, right? But you only see a certain facet of who they are as a person in media and popular media. They're made out to seem like total gods, right? Made out to seem like they have no imperfections, right? They're geniuses, whatever, right? But when you read these biographies, you quickly figure out that a lot of times they succeeded in spite of their weaknesses. A lot of times you find out that they were very deeply flawed in some ways, like everybody else in the world, right? Deeply flawed in many different ways, despite those things, challenges or you know, family situation, the health, whatever it was, right? They were able to overcome it and essentially find success. And also it's one of those things where like success is relative too, right? Not everybody wants to be the next big successful entrepreneur as well. So it really comes down to understanding what you want to be. It's interesting. A lot of these successful business people, like their entire life revolves around that. Like they have nothing else going on. That's their life. And so I think that's a it's an underrated part of like people don't know how all encompassing it is because you know, I have friends around me that just have no clue because when I'm hanging out with them, I don't talk about business. I don't I never talk about work when I'm with them just because I know they won't understand. But yeah, in terms of resources, I would say I like biographies a lot. I like Walter Isaacson. He wrote the Steve Jobs biography. I read the Einstein biography, Ben Franklin. I read the Elon Musk biography by Ashley Vance. Thought that was interesting. It puts them in a very interesting light, especially in light of what's happening recently with Twitter. I like history books overall. I like history books a lot. I also read my fair share of business books. I read quite a few business books, but I think those things, you know, are kind of they do help you in terms of thinking about business. But I think it's better to really just go out and do it yourself first. Jahoon, thank you so much for coming on the pod. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening, and please make sure you subscribe to get updated when new podcasts come out. I'm Will Burkhart, and you've been listening to Studying Success.